Hello and welcome to the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. For those of you not familiar with our office, GOSEP is the Louisiana State Coordinating Agency to prepare for, respond to, and recover from emergencies. We work closely with our partners at the local level to achieve these goals. For this show, we will be highlighting some of the important work GOSEP is doing not only here in Louisiana, but around the country when it comes to hurricane recovery. We instituted a new program called Shelter at Home after the flooding in 2016 to help deal with the massive housing shortage in the state. We've been able to help other areas impacted by recent hurricanes with similar programs, and it will help Louisiana in the future as well. GOSEP Deputy Director Will Rochelle will be in to talk about that work. Our preparedness tip will be on emergency funds. It's always good to have a little cash available before you or your family face an emergency. Our resource segment will highlight the four National Weather Service offices that cover Louisiana. And our first interview will be with meteorologist in charge Ken Graham with the National Weather Service in New Orleans. The 2017 hurricane season is over. There are some historic numbers to talk about. Plus, we will talk about the outlook for this winter. One of the things we are doing each show is giving you a preparedness tip. Today we are highlighting your emergency funds. Several different types of emergencies here in Louisiana could force you and your family away from your home for an extended period of time. Evacuation expenses could include things like fuel needs, restaurants, and hotel stays. It's a good idea to save some cash to keep at home in order to address those potential issues. Depending on the disaster, ATMs may not be available, so do what you can to establish an emergency fund for your specific situation. That's your preparedness tip. Ken Graham with the National Weather Service is our first guest. Thanks for joining us. I know some of the data is still being sorted out concerning the 2017 hurricane season. What are some of the unique things we saw this year? I'll tell you one thing that we need to remember is it started early. The first storm was in April. This whole season started really early, and so that's one thing that uh, stands out. But, I mean, if you think about it, it was incredibly active, the fifth most active season on record. So that's one of the records. And there were so many records broken this year that I actually had to put them down on paper to try to figure some of them out. So the average number of hurricanes we would normally get would be six, um, 12 named storms. That's on average. That's any given year, maybe two to three major hurricanes. Think about this year, um, 17 named storms, 10 of those hurricanes, and six of them major hurricanes. So we exceeded every parameter. Now, not breaking the record back in 2005 where we had 28 and we ran out of names. Even going to meteorology school, I never thought we'd run out of the names. So I actually had to go to the Greek alphabet to figure that out. 15 hurricanes and seven major. And that was 2005. So not breaking the, the all-time record, but the fifth most active, which is, which is pretty incredible. So the nation's greatest rainfall was recorded from Harvey. So these are just some of the records. September was the most active month on record. I mean, just it's, it's amazing to put these down and really reflect. Uh, Irma, the record length of being 185 miles an hour anywhere on Earth. 37 hours uh, was able to maintain 185 miles an hour. So the physics says once you get to that high speed, you start 
losing some of that uh, momentum there, but it didn't happen. It, it was just absolutely uh, amazing how that happened. Strongest storm ever to hit the Leeward Islands, Irma. It goes on. It's incredible. Irma, strongest Atlantic storm on record. Uh, two Cat 4 landfalls in the United States from the Atlantic. That's the first time since 1851. Wow. So normally you'd have maybe one in the Pacific, one in the Atlantic, mm-hmm. um, but never two Cat 4 landfalls from the Atlantic. That was Harvey and Irma, which is incredible. And, and, and it goes on. Uh, the first time two hurricanes at the same time had the same wind speed in the Atlantic, 150 miles an hour. That was Irma and, and Jose. And um, also the first time we've had 10 storms go to hurricane strength in a row, and that hasn't happened since the 1800s. So it goes on. It's incredible, all the records. And, you know, we were active for a lot of these events. We naturally have to ramp up when threat approaches the state. Sometimes it's it's not something that's even aimed for the state at the moment, but we can't take that chance and, and kind of hope that it turns. Uh, a lot of people may not realize as the governor meets with our staff and with a lot of the other uh, state agencies, you guys are actively involved in those meetings, giving us forecasts and everything. How important is it to get that data in and make sure you know everyone is aware of that situation? I think something everyone needs to realize is every, every decision, it's uh, from evacuations to preparedness, um, you know, whether it's sandbags or w- whatever the situation may be for the storm, everything's based on science. So behind the scenes, we're, you know, it's, it's really based on the science of the models, the science of hurricanes, and then saying, this is what the latest science says. This is the uncertainty associated with that science. And then decisions are made on that. And this year, if you think about it, I mean, Texas got hit hard. Parts of Louisiana got some pretty big impacts from, from this season as well. Uh, Mississippi had a large impact in Florida and so forth. And, of course, Puerto Rico. Uh, we, we were kind of in between a lot of these storms. So we did have some impact. But I think we were talking before we started this recording how critical it is everybody understands that there's really no such thing as a false alarm. So if we are preparing, if we are getting ready for something, that means the uncertainty is high enough that we could have some major impacts from one of those storms. And, you know, 12 miles, I look back at uh, Tropical Storm Cindy and you look at the Mississippi coast, 12 miles meant the difference between three and a half inches of rain and over 12 inches of rain. Mm -hmm. We're, We're dealing with mere miles here. So all you do is shift a storm 20, 30 miles in a different direction, and the major impacts that we saw in Texas or even in Mississippi, there are here in Louisiana. That's huge. That's one of the things that we were kind of looking at. You know, you did see some areas in in southwest Louisiana had a pretty significant impact, but for the most part, it literally stopped at the state line. Like when you went to the Texas state line, and then again, you mentioned with, with the Mississippi coast, some of the issues they dealt with you know, was right up to the state line here on the east side. So uh, it was it was kind of an amazing year to watch. Going back to these numbers and the increase in activity and everything, you know, you see peaks and valleys sometimes in the amount of tropical weather because of whatever reasons they, they may be. Do you think we're entering or in the middle of one of these trends where we're going to see that, that peak of activity like this? You know, it's, it's interesting when you look at statistics because technically in these 30-year cycles, we're entering kind of a, a more minimal uh, period. But what everybody has to, to really think about when these statistics, you can bend them in any direction. Just because we're entering a minimum for, for a certain amount of time, a few decades, doesn't mean you can have some big peaks within those minimums. So without a doubt, this was one of the uh, big season for us, fifth worst season um, and, but at the same time, I think overall, we're ending a lower period, but it all comes back to preparedness. And it, and it goes back to the training that both, both GOSEP and, and us at the Weather Service, that we, we give hundreds of training sessions a year. And one of the big things that we say, it really doesn't matter 
talking active or not active. Um, it, and it really doesn't matter if the, the weather service comes out and says, hey, we're going to have 20 storms this year, or we come out and say we'll have two storms this year, because if you get hit by that one, then, then, then you need to be prepared and it's a bad season. So it, it all comes back to preparedness. It all comes back to being ready every single year. The Gulf Coast is one of the most active hurricane uh, regions on the planet. That's where we are. Um, history says, you know, we can get storms uh, throughout the hurricane season and even beyond. So uh, that's where it comes back to preparedness and everybody being ready and, and really not looking at, wow, you know, Nate, we, we were ready for Hurricane Nate, but we sure didn't get much. Well, the left-hand side completely collapsed because we had a storm moving forward at 25 miles an hour. So we had a forward motion on Nate that was off the chart, which means really tough to get a whole lot on the, on that left side. But how close we were. So if you go to the Mississippi coast, we had eight to nine and in some places, 10 foot of storm surge. Mm-hmm. So again, shift Nate over to central Louisiana and we take the brunt of that storm surge in southeast Louisiana. So that's what we got to remember. It, it's really close. So it's hard to go back and say, hey, we really didn't get much from that. We, we lucked out. We should be happy. Well, that's one of the things I've always appreciated as we've worked with you guys and, and talked to the public and held different events with the public. You talk about that. It only takes one to ruin your year, basically, you know, had that impact from Harvey been in our state, if that was the only storm we faced this year, that would be enough devastation for anyone. You know, it is important not to stay focused on those predictions and, and the, the number sometimes. It's interesting, but it's not necessarily uh, the information you need to, to protect you and your family. What do you see going ahead? We're, we're now moving into the winter months. Uh, with cold fronts coming through, sometimes there's some pretty serious thunderstorms associated with that. What does the public need to be focused on uh, kind of moving into these winter months? Well, we got two things going on here. So, you know, we had an active season because we had a La Nina situation. So whenever we have a La Nina, we have a very active Atlantic season with hurricanes. And that continues into the winter months. La Nina normally means for Louisiana, we're going to have higher than normal temperatures and uh, less rain. But at the same time, when we do get these cold fronts, you know, they interact with that warm weather. You can get some severe weather. So history does say we could get some decent severe weather during the winter months. So we got to be prepared for that. So we have two severe weather seasons. One of them's in the spring. We go back and we look at February, April, May timeframe for some of that severe weather. There's a secondary season in the Southeast United States, and that's November and December. So we need to be ready, kind of start, th- stop thinking hurricanes for a little bit and start thinking severe weather and be prepared for uh, having the information really quick when we put out a warning. Two Februarys in a row, we've had major, major tornado outbreaks in our state, uh, specifically mm-hmm. southeast Louisiana. Um, you know, last year, of course, we had the New Orleans East tornado. I mean, these weren't just small outbreaks. These were uh, ef 3 size tornadoes, very mm-hmm. strong tornadoes. So that's what we need to set our sights to, make sure we're ready to get that information when we put out the warnings from our office. And kind of going forward, you guys have a lot of resources available. Uh, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, there's four National Weather Service offices that cover Louisiana. You guys all have very active social media accounts and everything. From a training standpoint, are, are things the public uh, can get involved with? What are some of the things uh, out there that people may not be aware of? You know, I think the, the social media part of it is amazing. I mean, we get more reports now than we've ever gotten in the history of our agency. And a lot of it, it's, it's social media. It's people interacting. We have more interaction with the general public than we probably ever had because it was a telephone basically before. So now that interaction is huge. I'm hearing from people that they just follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter is a great place to get uh, a lot of our warning information. Literally seconds after we put out the warning, it's already on Twitter. So there's great places to get this information and and share it. And another thing I did want to mention is it's really important that people have the WIA. It's the the emergency activation on their telephones. Never turn them off. 
because we, when we put out a warning, a tornado warning, a flood warning, a storm surge warning now is actually sent to everyone's cell phones. If that phone goes off, it's not a false alarm. We're actually drawing boxes on maps, and then the cell phone towers are activated within those, those boxes. And that's a huge leap forward. In the New Orleans East tornado, block by block, people kept saying, I got the warning on my phone. It gave me just enough time to get to my bathtub, and we took cover, and we survived. That's what we're talking about. So have that device to get that information. Um, lots of ways to get it. And if you need training, we love going to schools. We do lots of training and spotter talks. Uh, we, we enjoy interacting with the public. The more we, we get that information out, the safer we are as a community. And to find you guys on social media, what should the public do? You know, the easiest way is think at NWS New Orleans. So that's how you find us on Twitter and, and Facebook. It'll light up right there. Um, so if at NWS New Orleans, you'll be able to find us there and follow us. The other way is we're at weather.gov, either slant New Orleans or slant Baton Rouge. And it's, it's a ton of information on our website, everything from the radar to the forecast. We actually have people behind the scenes uh, editing. Uh, think about this, two and a half little kilometer boxes, and each one's a different forecast. That's why you can put in your zip code and get a different forecast, because that's how it operates here in, in Louisiana. We get a very different forecast across the street. So the, the information there is in, incredible. Uh, go to our website, weather.gov, and you can get information all the way across this country. You know, one of the things I want to kind of build on, one of the things you talked about with the cell phones and, and some of the emergency warnings, we interviewed some people that lived in the river parishes two years ago when one of those tornado outbreaks broke out. They had their TV on. They got the alerts through their television. They got their alerts through their cell phone. The husband was aware of what was going on, heard some noise outside, typical freight train type sound associated with a tornado. He grabbed his wife. They went into a bathroom in the middle of the house. When we went to that area to kind of survey some of the damage, that one bathroom was literally the only thing with walls on it that was still standing in the house. So it was kind of amazing to see. But that was a perfect example of how someone paid attention to what was going on, knew the threat they were facing, and then took the right action. So that's pretty much what we hope anybody with the public you know, will do. Yeah, and it's true because if you think about the hurricane situation, we usually have some days, maybe even up to a week to get ready. Uh, maybe for a flood, it's still a, a day, maybe two days. It's still not a lot of time, but a tornado, if the storm's not there, it's not there. Once we see it on radar and it starts rotating, you may only have five or 10 minutes. Um, in some cases, the New Orleans East tornado was so large, you had 32-minute lead time on that one, but we don't always have those big events. So the smaller events, a lot of times you get shorter lead time. So you got to be ready. It's, it's five or 10 minutes notice. Once you get that alert, you need to know what to do. you got to have a plan. Where are you going to go in your house? Uh, have that a uh, place away from the windows, the interior room, that bathroom was a perfect place to be. Over and over, I've done hundreds and hundreds of surveys, and there's a lot of times there's that interior room that survives. We don't get those big EF5s and 4s down here. If you get to that interior room, generally speaking, uh, you'll have the best chance of making through it. All right. We're speaking with Ken Graham, the meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service New Orleans. Ken, thank you for taking time out with us. If you do have a group, I've heard Ken and his staff speak Numerous times, there's a lot of great information uh, they can share with the public if you invite them out. And it seems like I learn something every time I, I hear one of their presentations. So take them up on that offer if you have a chance. Ken, thank you. You're welcome. Keeping with the information we shared with Ken, we now move on to the resource segment for this program. There are four National Weather Service offices that cover Louisiana. The National Weather Service New Orleans, National Weather Service Lake Charles, 
the National Weather Service Shreveport, and the National Weather Service in Jackson, Mississippi. That office covers a portion of northeast Louisiana. All four of these offices are very active with their social media accounts. You can use their Twitter and Facebook accounts to keep you informed along with information coming from your local media outlets. In addition to forecast and alert information, these sites offer preparedness and training information, so take advantage of these resources to help protect you, your family, your home, and your business. That's your resource segment. We're now moving on to our second interview. It's one of my co-workers at GOSEP, Will Rochelle, our deputy director, also one of my bosses, so we have to be uh, especially nice to him on this, this episode. Now, Will, <laughs> is direct- doing, Good. Will is directing most of GOSEP's housing efforts here in the state uh, after our flooding last year and also in other areas that have been impacted by the hurricanes this hurricane season. Will, you've been busy. If you could kind of recap your activity so far this year. It began during the August floods of 2016 in Louisiana. We had many parishes that were affected significantly, and one of the things that quickly became apparent is outside of the mass shelters, there were not any places to uh, to house survivors. So we had to come up with some options, and, and the typical options such as uh, hotels that just weren't available in significant quantity, uh, the uh, FEMA-manufactured housing units, are uh, also not available in significant quantity, and they take a while to mobilize. So we had to get uh, innovative in a hurry. And in a matter of days, uh, we we studied a pilot program uh, that was done in New York, uh, rapid repair. And we uh, from that, we developed a construct, uh, made it applicable to Louisiana, and established a program uh, where we would do uh, rapid repairs on homes uh, in Louisiana. We call that sheltered home. Uh, the objective of that program was to get uh, survivors back to their homes and communities as, as quickly as we could so that they could get closer to normal and then uh, help get themselves the rest of the way as other programs became available. We did not want uh, survivors scattered all over multiple states, uh, being away from work, being away from schools, and their uh, you know their kids away from schools. So we had to come up with, with the option. That's where we developed that uh, the shelter-at-home program. That's one of the things that the public, you know, it was kind of difficult to explain to the public. We had a a housing shortage, you know, in the Baton Rouge region, for example, before the storms hit, and the storms just uh, kind of uh, made that problem grow even more, and so it was important to come up with these types of programs. Can you explain how uh, some states like Texas have kind of been able to build off of the work that we did and and what we're seeing in some of these other areas as the program continues to evolve. Yes. So in Louisiana, we had asked for a few things. I mean, we were able to do some uh, rapid repairs, but we didn't go as we weren't able to, to utilize it to the extent we wanted to due to policies. We had asked for additional scope of work, and uh, we're not able to get it. So in Texas, as we were able to uh, spend time with Texas as well, talk talk to the. Uh, the uh, officials there about the uh, challenges we had implementing our program, what what things we felt went well, how everything um, moved in a pretty timely fashion, uh, just not to the degree that we wanted it to. We wanted more scope of work done that we were not able to do. So Texas uh, was able to incorporate some of that and through another program uh, was able to capture some of the more permanent work. So 
the end state in Texas was is that they're able to do the uh, the rapid temporary work and also uh, take it to the next level, the more permanent work in the near term. We also have that in Louisiana, but it's a longer term um, CDBG option. As far as um, what you're seeing in these other areas, how are the conditions there changing and how do you see these programs? Uh, how effective are they? It's too early to tell right now. I mean, the programs, they've, they've got implementation guidance out. Um, they've been doing, um, you know, solicitations for bidding. The programs are just kind of taken off uh, just really at the very, uh, very beginning stages in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico. So uh, I will say, though, that the implementation, because of the templates in uh, Louisiana that we were able to assist with, I think went a lot smoother uh, as far as working with FEMA and, uh, and and getting through some of the policy loopholes that you expect when dealing with multiple levels of government. Uh, it, it was a lot more streamlined based on the experiences in Louisiana, and our recommendations were uh, certainly incorporated. It's kind of awesome to see that, you know, we have the experience here in the state. Unfortunately, we face a lot of emergencies uh, in Louisiana, but it's great to see these other areas reach out to us and, and request that assistance. And I'm, I'm assuming that's what they did with this situation. Yes, yes, absolutely, Mike. I mean, we were asked to uh, to assist. You know, we've uh, reached out to every uh, affected state, Texas, Florida, and, and the territory of Puerto Rico. Um, it's really important that uh, the states do that uh, partnership because, it uh, number one, uh, it's uh, particularly fulfilling with, uh, from Louisiana's perspective, I think, and from our staff's perspective, in that uh, you know so many uh, uh, entities, so many states, and volunteer agencies, and everything have reached out in our time of need. So it's uh, it's great to go out and uh, uh, repay the favor, so to speak. But also, uh, it's important to share that the knowledge obtained. Uh, so it becomes a cumulative uh, knowledge that we're able to expand upon it um, because we were able to do in subsequent programs like in Texas and Puerto Rico things that we were not able to do because these pilot programs were in their infancy in Louisiana. Uh, so the end result is is these are better programs, federal programs all around as a result of the cumulative education, if you will, of uh, multiple states' input. So uh, Louisiana getting out there, talking about, hey, this is the program we did. We wish we could have done this, but due to policy limitations, we're not able to. We were able to to, to get that uh, communicated to the uh, other states, and, and, uh, and there were uh, policies instituted to uh, allow other programs to kind of make up the difference, if you will. So those, uh, the net result is uh, is more beneficial programs uh, the next time someone uh, suffers a disaster. And we know here in Louisiana that that could literally be any moment. So it's, it's you good know, to that's, see. Unfortunately, that's, that's the environment we're in. That's right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, and, and good luck with those programs. And, and we hope we keep everything going here as well. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Happy to do it. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. We want to say thanks to Will Rochelle and Ken Graham for joining us today for their interviews. For more information on the topics we talked about today, go to getagameplan.org. And don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast 
at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.